Well, today I have picked one of the hardest topics to preach on that there is. Theologians and philosophers have been arguing about this for 2,000 years. And so I, I don't know that I've ever preached on this here, but um, I want you to listen real carefully because if you take a line out here and a line out there, you can get way out in the bushes somewhere. So uh, you have to kind of put it all together. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans 2, beginning in verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, But the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves and their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. In 1971, the modern world was just astonished by the discovery of a tribe of people that were living in the Mindanao rainforest in the Philippines. I imagine some of you remember reading, it was front page, I remember it on the paper. They had discovered these people, and uh, they all went in, of course, and took pictures and did all of that. Uh, These folks were in a Stone Age culture, untouched by civilization. No one would have thought it was possible for there to be a spot on the earth that was untouched by civilization and unknown to modern man. But the Tazaday people, deep in that forest, have been living for centuries upon centuries, unknown to the outside world and unaware of the outside world. They live as mankind lived 4,000 years ago. Their only clothes are the leaves from the forest. They eat tadpoles uh, that are in the streams and grubs that they get uh, out of the dirt. They eat some wild roots and some berries and some bananas. And that's about it. I like barbecue. I'm sure they didn't have that. Potato chips, there weren't any of those there. (laughs) Well, they knew nothing of modern culture and certainly had a very primitive view of religion. Now, when these people were discovered, it brought to the front the uh, old, old question. How is God going to judge these people who have never heard the gospel? Never. How will God deal with that? How will we deal with that? This ancient tribe in the Philippines 
had never heard the name of Jesus ever in 4,000 years. They had no Bibles. They had no religious helps. Great thinkers of all ages, both theologians and philosophers, have had a long history of struggling with that question. As early as the first century after Christ, Justin Martyr, a Greek philosopher of the Christian persuasion, struggled with the question as how God would deal with those that knew nothing of Christ. As pagan religions of the East in that day, they didn't know anything about Jesus. They never heard the name of Jesus. The Roman Empire, they didn't know anything about Jesus. All of Asia Minor, the highlands of Galatia. Martyr thought and thought and thought about what uh, uh, would be the best thought related to these people as to how in the future they would relate to God. Well, he thought about it and finally decided that God would judge them by natural law. Not how they responded to Jesus because they had never heard of Jesus. Well, natural law, if you boil it down to the lowest common denominator, is human reason. So that really wasn't a good basis. In the modern era, Zwingli, who was called the morning star of the Reformation, he said that the atonement of Christ covers all of those who have never heard of Jesus. And he believed that the atonement also covered all of those folks in the Old Testament. In order for us today to deal with this issue, we have to have some basic premises upon which to build a structure of what we think. First of all, it's not up to us to decide how God is going to deal with anybody. That's not our choice. We do not know the ways of God. The ways of God are beyond us. The Bible says that we can only see the outside of man where God can see the heart of every person. We should be very cautious here, for judging is God's prerogative and not ours. The scripture says, judge not that you will not be judged. Jesus warned us against judging again and again and again. But guess what? We all do it. We do it all the time. Uh, We do it uh, about people that we hardly, barely know. How easy it is for all of us to say, well, I'm going to pass judgment on so-and-so. I think this about her or that about him. That is simply not our prerogative. And we should not do it. Secondly, we can know that God's judgment is just. We worship a just God. We worship a righteous God who deals with people in a just and loving way. God dealt with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah as they deserve to be dealt with. You don't have to question whether or not God has all the facts. God does have all of the facts. Thirdly, as much as possible, we must let the scripture be our guide. We cannot count on reason or logic or our best ideas. We must depend upon what the scripture 
says. With these basic premises, I think we can get a feel of how God deals with those folks that have never heard of the gospel, never heard of Jesus. I believe the scripture is obvious in saying that a man is responsible to God for the light that he has been given. The opposite of that is obviously also true. A just and loving God will not hold us responsible for light or for understanding that we do not have. In human courts, if a pretty, uh, lovely, a happy little baby crawled over and grabbed a revolver and lifted it up and pulled the trigger and killed his mother, uh, there's no court in the world that would send the little baby to prison. That just isn't how that would work out. We would say, well, the baby is not accountable because the baby doesn't know uh, what he or she was doing. There's no babies in hell. If we understand that to be human justice, how much more perfect must the justice of God be? Now, if an adult pulled the trigger and killed someone, the justice of human courts and of God would hold that individual responsible. Well, what is the criteria for knowing are not knowing God. In Romans 1, you might put this uh, scripture out in the margin by the scripture that we read this morning as our text. Romans 1, 19 and 20. It says that God has revealed himself to all people through nature so that we are without excuse. Now that phrase, has been really at the heart of all of the arguments through all of these thousands of years so that they are without excuse. The Bible says, seek and you will find. That is, those who seek the light that has come to them through nature, which is not sufficient for salvation, will get the light they need for salvation. But those who turn their back on the light that they have been given through nature and find themselves lost in darkness, they have no one to blame but themselves. Responsibility is proportionate to revelation. And God knows exactly how much revelation a person received and how exactly he or she responded to it. Just as there are different degrees of responsibility, so there are different degrees of punishment for those who choose to reject the revelation that they have been given. Through creation, through what has been made, Paul says that God has shown his eternal power. Think of our universe, the sky, the Alps, the giant redwoods, uh, the beautiful scenes, the magnificent things all over the world. Think about the newborn baby. Someone caused all of that to be able to happen, and it obviously 
was not us. Somewhere back in history, there was a great force, an intelligent being that made this universe all that it is. The existence of what we see about us proves the existence of the maker. I choose to call that maker God. The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now look around you. As you look around you, as you drive out today, all around you are things that God has made. The elements that God put here for us to work with. Philosophers have always known that there was a prime mover, a first mover. Many of them choose not to call that prime mover God. But we, of the Christian perspective, know it could have been no one else. Paul says there is a second way that we might know God. It's in our text for this morning. In Romans 2.15, it talks about our conscience, the law that is written in our hearts. John 1.9 talks of a light that is within every man. I know that this source of moral truth that is within every man, every woman, can be perverted. Of course, we have all seen that in people's lives, all of our lives. But it was originally there, and God is the one that put it there. Anthropologists tell us that every generation of man has a conscience. Every culture develops its own social mores, its tattoos. Taboos, I'm sorry. (laughs) Not tattoos. Erase tattoos. (laughs) And And patterns of worship that come from the inner nature of man, his conscience. Both nature and conscience are important sources of spiritual light, but they are sources of reflected light, not direct light. Neither nature nor conscience tells us all that we need to know about God. The third source of spiritual light is Jesus Christ, the light of lights. In John 8, 12, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. So now we have the fullness in vision because of the light that Jesus has brought to our world. Now we have the basic principle that man is responsible for the right use of the light that he has. Obviously, this responsibility is on a personal basis. We're not judged in groups. We're not judged collectively. We are judged individually. We are personally responsible for how we receive or reject the light that God gives. How does God judge people who have not heard the gospel? Lovingly, carefully, individually. A preacher friend of mine many years ago had a cousin that was a moron. He 
was about 6'2". He was very muscular. He was very handsome. And he had the mind of a very slow six-year-old. I asked my preacher friend, how is God going to judge him? My friend, who was an astute uh, theologian, thought for a couple minutes and then said, lovingly, lovingly. He was right. We worship that kind of a God. In one church I served, there was a very mean man who was very critical of everything and everybody. He was always looking for something to be negative about. He was always ready to make some derogatory comment. I wonder if those type of people have heard the gospel. It seems to me like if the light of the gospel has bathed your heart, then you wouldn't act like that. Is it possible that people who are not morons can come to church a great deal and never hear the gospel? Is that possible? I hope that's the case because if it's not, then that type of person is under the most severe condemnation. For you and and I that have heard the gospel again and again and again, the choice is very clear. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Well, we have the responsibility to accept or reject Christ. If we accept him, we will live with him in this life and in the life beyond. If we reject him, it's a dark and unpleasant course. I believe in the missionaries and what they're about, so that men and women and boys and girls all over the world can hear and believe, so that they can get the clearest presentation, the most descriptive presentation of who and what Jesus is all about. They can know the direct light of Jesus in their lives. The minister and his wife in Chicago were called to the hospital. Their only daughter was gravely ill. They were allowed a short visit by the nurse. The father bent over his daughter as the nurse was asking them now to leave. He bent over and put his ear to her mouth. It seemed like she was trying to say something to him. And as he leaned over, he, he faintly heard her say, Oh, Dad, I've lost my grip. Well, that really bothered him as he left the hospital. He told his wife about it. And they prayed most of the night. their daughter. Early the next morning, they called to check on her condition, and the nurse said she has made great progress through the night. They were so glad, of course, to hear that from the nurse on duty. The father and mother quickly returned to the hospital, 
after speaking with the doctor, they were led to believe that their daughter might recover. As they stayed at the bedside all day, when the night nurse came on, they learned that the cause of her happy change of health was a very specific reason. The hospital was very close to an apartment building, very close. The daughter had asked the night nurse if she would to raise her window, which the nurse did. About 9 p.m. every night in one of the apartment windows right across the street, a man with a great baritone voice would sing while his wife played the piano, and they would present what a friend we have in Jesus. The daughter had listened the night before and said to the night nurse, that message is for me. She had heard the words, are we weak and heavy laden? Are we cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Making those words her prayer by asking Christ to help her, she had her first natural sleep in weeks. From that hour, her recovery began. You have heard the name of Jesus. Would you respond to him today if you've never trusted and believed in him as your Savior? Would you respond to him today if you've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off? Would you say, Lord, I've heard the message and I want to respond. We're going to sing a hymn that is related to this message. I hope you'll hear it and I hope it will touch your heart. Let's stand together as we sing. I'll be waiting on you to come forward to join the church, to rededicate your life.